Well, I mentioned as we started uh, the Advent cycle that for all these years we've done it, I've never preached through each of the passage that the Advent calendar lifts up. And so it hardly even occurred to me, though I had heard it year after year, that as you probably noted, that the Advent calendar begins in Isaiah 9, and then it ends in Isaiah 9. Uh, Fairly appropriate, uh, actually, the central prophet of the Old Testament with the central prophecy of the coming and the significance of the Son of God into the world. And so Isaiah 9, let me just read uh, verse 2 again, and and then also uh, verse 6. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, And those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And then verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Let's ask the Lord's blessing upon his word to us. Father, this afternoon we ask that you would enable us to see something of the wonder of what you have done in and through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Something of the ominous nature of where we live, and something of the glory of your solution to that problem, the problem of darkness, through the great light that is centered in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask you, Lord, to open our eyes to these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We'll start out, as Isaiah does, with the walking. Love the King James version of this. And the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death. Upon them hath the light shined. Now we'll get to that darkness in a minute, but we'll just start out with the metaphor of walking. The people who are walking. I was struck a week ago, John Walker took us back to his home Cedar Rapids, Iowa, in the late 1950s, at Christmas morning. 
where he has the youngest of four kids. We're marooned at the top of the steps waiting for their dad to finish shaving so that they could go down and get next to the Christmas presents. That was, that was the ritual. And he's described it. It was just, it's a snapshot, right? It was a snapshot, a memory in the life of John Walker. And we all have similar memories. Back in the 50s or 60s or 70s or 80s or 90s, wherever your childhood lay, right down to those who are in their childhood right now. What Isaiah is saying is, that's all part of your walk. Your walk is your life. Um, and we And we're just walking along. And one of the things that becomes striking is that the longer you walk, the more that it strikes you overall how short the walk actually is. For there you are, you're walking as a four-year-old, and the next thing you know, you're walking as a 14-year-old. And the next thing you know, you're walking as a 24-year-old, and then a 34-year-old, with maybe several children of your own. And the next thing you know, your children have left the house. And the next thing you know, there are grandchildren, and on you walk. And that's how it goes. And that's how it goes. And Isaiah says, those are walking. But he tells us that we don't walk around in a vacuum. We don't walk around in some kind of neutral zone, far from it. It's an ominous picture from Isaiah as to where we're all Walking and what the environment is really like. He, he talks about us walking, walking in darkness. Walking in darkness. Now when I was three or four years old, we had to get up Christmas morning exceedingly early because of what our little pattern was. And so we always got up, not only while it was still deeply dark, But um, it genuinely tended to still be dark because we had to get up so early because we'd opened our own presents. And then our ritual was we'd get in our car and we'd drive halfway to my grandma Yates' house where my dad's cousin was a dairy farmer. And we had breakfast with them. And so we would get out there and my mom would run in the house to help my, I called him, he's actually my dad's cousin, but I always referred to him as my Uncle Eddie. My mom would go in to help his wife Alma with breakfast, and my dad, and my brother and sister and I would walk to the barn and watch Edwin and his hired man finish the milking. And I was three or four years old, the year that Edwin picked me up when I got in there. And there was a nameplate over every 
stanchion in that barn, all the cows had their nameplate. He picked me up and asked me, can you read any of these nameplates? I said, no. Well, these cows read them. That's how they know where to go. They all go, they find their nameplate, they walk right in there. So right now, these cows are quite a bit smarter than you. Whether you'll ever catch up with them or not, only time will tell. But I remember him setting me on a cow and saying, now you've got to sit really still, really still. Yes, because these are Holstein cows. And if a boy sits on one of these really still, they'll give your Uncle Eddie a little extra milk. So I sat there really, really still, really, really still, so as not to mess up the milking process. But that morning, it's all, all the memories of it, the clearest memories of it, are the darkness. Getting out of the car and looking at the lights in the farmhouse and looking at the scattering of lights across the barn. We walked across that farmyard into the barn, and by the time we came back out, the darkness was beginning to turn into a bit of, of dawn. Um, but Isaiah's not talking about the kind of darkness that you find in Edwin Wahlberg's barnyard. He's talking about moral and spiritual darkness. The kind of darkness that we, we notice fairly regularly. Isaiah was deeply aware of it. When Isaiah's writing these words, Israel is very much in a dark place and it's only going to get darker. The Assyrians are the power in the region, and they're wiping the northern ten tribes of Israel off the map. But Isaiah also foretells the rise of Babylon and the wiping of the southern kingdom off the map. And so no more kings in Israel. The prophecy that referred to a little bit to David where there'll be a descendant on his throne that'll be on that throne forever and ever. For the average Israelite after those exiles, that just seems to be gone. And gone for good. And the hope of Israel seemed to lay quite dead in empty words. And Isaiah is saying that's going to continue. And that'll still be the case. That'll still be the case when this great light shines. But he says, I promise you, 
He actually says it as if it's already happened because when God makes a plan, that's how sure it is. Those who walk in darkness have seen a great light, even though the light hasn't actually come yet. But because they're so certain to see it, he says it as if it's already happening. See, he's talking to us about Hamas kind of darkness. He's talking to us about Gaza darkness. He's talking to us about Ukraine, Russia invasion darkness. He's talking to us about the kind of darkness where you find in our university campuses people calling for the genocide of a race without apology and without giving an inch to anybody, the most elite scholars anywhere in the country. Because it still goes on, even though the light has come. So we say over and over again here, that's the key to understanding biblical eschatology is the already and not yet nature of it. The light has already arrived, but the consummation of the kingdom is not yet here. And so the child has been born, but the darkness, the darkness is still there and has remained there over the past 2,000 years with great consistency. Those who walk in darkness will see a great light, a great light. The text from 2 Corinthians that was read with the Advent candles by the Coimas, that's referring to the creation account in Genesis. Uh, Isaiah, without any question, has the creation account in Genesis, in the back of his mind. We read over the second verse of the creation account so quickly that we don't give it any thought. Uh, But this ominous theme is there, lurking right from the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form or void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness and he called the light day and the darkness He called night. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the earth. Ominous language in God. Let there be light. Let there be light. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. He then goes on to speak of the land of deep darkness. 
number of weeks ago when we were in Isaiah 9 the first time, I pointed out that the Hebrew word here behind the ESV's translation, deep darkness, is the same word that we find so striking with a more vivid translation in the middle of Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, it's almost always translated as the valley of the shadow of death. There's the word. There's the word that Isaiah uses here. And he dwelt in the land of the shadow of death. And on them, and on them, the light shined. We notice such things, right? We watch the news. I mention all the time, I regularly listen to Al Mohler do his cultural analysis. And in Mohler's cultural analysis, the Christian point of view is constantly losing, 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 losing ground in the West. It can be a depressing thing. And then you just pick up the pages of the Wall Street Journal and you read the front page or the edit and darkness around the world, economic darkness, military darkness, moral darkness. Um, the land of the shadow of death. But in, in that place, in that condition, a great light shines. My sister and brother-in-law, a little over a year ago, were in Nepal, Kathmandu. And my brother-in-law, who has traveled widely in the world, made the comment that Kathmandu just struck him as such of a dark city in its moral, spiritual feel. In 1952, in Nepal, there were 29 Christians that they knew of. Now there's roughly a million out of the 35 million people. So that's almost 3% light um, viewed in Isaiah's terms, but still a dark, dark place, uh, especially if you consider the biblical outlook where the kind of darkness that he's talking about is a darkness that issues forth in the end in the eternal damnation of those who are owned by it. That's an ominous thing. We don't like to talk about it. We often don't talk about it. But the Bible talks about it with some regularity. Jesus in particular. This is a dangerous darkness that we're talking about. Men walked in this dangerous darkness, this valley of the shadow of death, darkness. But then Isaiah shifts over to verse 6 and tells us that this great light that he's talking about, it comes in the form of a child. It comes in the form of a child, verse 6, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Born to us, born to Israel, which in the long run turns out to be born to the people of God, 
born to the people of faith. And the faith is focused on Israel's Messiah, Jesus, who comes to earth in the Bethlehem manger. That's the story that sweeps its way through the Old Testament. We sang a song this morning, or this evening, uh, or this afternoon, technically, this afternoon. Uh, that's, That's the focus, right, of that very familiar term is simply on infancy. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head, stars in the sky looked down where he lay, the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. What's the point of that verse? He's a child. It's a child we're talking about. Unto us, a child is born. And that expectation of a child goes all the way back to the beginning. Genesis 3, God handing out the curses after Adam and Eve have fallen into sin. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? Genesis 3.13. The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust, dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. Her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and he'll deal you, serpent, a mortal blow, this offspring of the woman who's coming. The same theme continues in the narrowing down of God's people in Genesis chapter 12 where Abram becomes the father of the faithful. The Lord said to Abram, Go to your country and to your kindred, to your father's house, to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, in you, in your offspring, all the nations of the earth, Will be, will be blessed. And then 2 Samuel narrows it even further, even further. 2 Samuel 7, 14, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him. The rod of men and the stripes of the sons of men, speaking of all the descendants of David, not just Jesus, but especially Jesus in the end. But my steadfast love will not depart from David like I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And now it's not just through Abraham, it's through David. It's through David which is why the Gospel of Matthew opens the way that it does, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, 
the son of David, to wrap in those two words about children being born. The great light is a child who is also God. The great light is a child who is also somehow God. The child is born to us, the son is given to us, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor, amazing in his counsel, amazing in his wisdom. Last last weekend's edition of the Wall Street Journal, uh, they had a sarcastic little piece on the cover. It's right up in the left-hand top of the front page of the weekend edition. little bold print said this, Election 2024. You asked for it, America. And underneath, a picture of Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Which was to imply from the editorialists at the Wall Street Journal that there's not a great deal of wisdom in either one of them. You asked for it, America. You asked for it. That's what it meant. Whether you agree with it or not, that's what they meant. See, how different with Jesus, this wonderful counselor. Here's somebody who knows the answers to all the deepest questions of life and death and hope and future, and he was born in a Bethlehem major, and at the same time, he is mighty God. He is mighty God, so he can back that wisdom up. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. I've mentioned many times, it's one of the few Christmas presents, you know, that you can remember years later. Once in a while, you'll really remember one. And I remember my brother-in-law and sister giving me Desiring God, Christmas 1987. I'd never heard of John Piper in my life. And I I, I sat up Christmas night and read the opening two chapters of that. And the opening chapter of Desiring God is heavenly based on God's sovereignty, especially as reflected in the Psalms. Psalm 115.3 is quoted three or four times in that chapter. He opens the chapter with it. He closes the chapter with it. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Well, how can he do that? Because he's mighty God. That's how he can do that. He's perfectly wise, and he backs that wisdom. He backs that wisdom with power. And he lasts forever. Everlasting Father or very literally, father of the age, father of eternity. There's two German Old Testament scholars who together wrote in a commentary on the entire Old Testament, and a rare thing happened for them, is it just became a standard so that it's, it's still in most pastors' library 
more than a century and a half after they wrote it. And one of the reasons for that is that uh, even, it's written in German, but translated into English, they were very gifted as writers, so it's kind of lyrical. In Kyle and Dalich's comment on Everlasting Father, they wrote this. Everlasting Father does not only designate him as the possessor of eternity, but as the tender, faithful, wise, trainer, guardian, provider for his people. Father forever. Faithful forever. Tender, faithful, king forever. What a picture this is. What a hope this forms. It's true. What a picture it is. What a hope it forms. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. The one having reestablished peace with God, as we've noted a couple of different times. Romans 5.1, how do you know you're among the people of God? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we are having peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have, you have peace with God. Peace with God. Prince of Peace. Well, we walk swiftly through this life shrouded in darkness. Some of you will remember this name, most of you won't, because she's been gone for many years. There was a very sweet lady in our church named Jen Davidson. And Jen eventually had to go into a nursing home. And almost invariably, as part of my visit to her, she would say to me, Pastor, I know you think you know this, but you don't. You don't. You think you know that your life is passing quickly by. But I warn you, it's passing by you much more quickly than you think. She was right. She was right. And you see that in your memory, right? You remember. I remember being a boy of three or four on a Holstein's back in Edwin Wahlberg's barn. And now I'm 66 years old. Just like that. Just like that. Jen was saying to all of us, this walk that Isaiah is talking about, I warn you, it's a shorter walk than you think. It is a shorter walk than you think. And so it is. 
And so it is. But that's okay if you've come to know the Prince of Peace. If your Savior is Jesus Christ, the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace, then you're eternally set right with God. And that's where you are, even as you sit here tonight, with your walk rapidly passing you by. But apart from that, apart from that, Isaiah would say, There's, there is no hope in the world. It's darkness, 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 and more darkness until you die. And then comes judgment. Unless you're set at peace with God through his Son, Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, I hope you feel a bit like a little boy that Donald Gray Barnhouse described in one of his sermons. Barnhouse was the pastor of the historic 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. And he talked about noticing over some weeks while he would be preaching, there would be a little boy sitting in the balcony off to his right by himself. His parents weren't with him. Nobody was with him. It was this little boy from downtown Philadelphia who was coming to church week by week by himself and listening to Donald Gray Barnhouse preach. And Barnhouse said, finally, one Sunday, I see this little boy walking up to me after the service, waiting in line, people greeting me. And he says to me, Oh, Dr. Barnhouse, if what you say about Jesus is true, we sure is sitting pretty, ain't we? Barnhouse says, Yeah, we sure are. We sure are. And that's true of you tonight. On this Christmas Eve, 2023. If Christ is your Lord and Savior, you are here sitting pretty in the halls of eternity. And if you're outside of Christ, he invites you in. So what could be better? Those walking in darkness have seen a great light. A great light. Just before I pray, I will remind you, I'm going to pray both for us as relation to these words, as well as for the offering we're about to take. The ushers will soon be coming forward, and we will be taking the offering for Compassion Child Care that we've taken for some years now. And it goes first and foremost right to Compassion Child Care that meets in our church, and anything that goes over to that goes to the rest of the Compassion Child Care 
uh, ministry and so encourage you to be generous and to uh, involve yourself in that ministry through this offering. Many of you are involved in that ministry in any number of ways, but this offering is, uh, is an opportunity uh, for that. So let's bow together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the words of Isaiah. We thank you for the promises that you have given, for the promises that we in faith have claimed or might claim for ourselves. And we ask, Lord, that as we do so, we would understand ourselves to have been richly blessed. And they would celebrate the birth of your son this Christmas season with a sense of gratitude, a sense of wonder, a sense of having been so blessed by you. Lord, we pray for the Compassion Child Care Ministry, for the leaders interacting with all these kids day by day, hoping to not only provide them with excellent daycare and pre-kindergarten education, but also with faith and love and a sense of the wonder of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would bless these funds that are about to be received to the end of this mission, this worthy mission. In Jesus' name, amen.